The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Thank you. Welcome to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, I want to welcome you if you're a visitor and really say thank you so much for being here. And uh, we are honored by your presence And if you're not a visitor, then you've probably noticed that things are looking a little different up here lately, that uh, drums have been moved out and equipment has been swapped out and shifted around. And so I just want to encourage you uh, that as it grows a little emptier up here, uh, it is inversely proportionate to how full the new space is becoming. It is looking excellent up there, speakers are in, lights are going up, and it is very much almost ready for us to head up there and worship together. So I'm, I'm really, really excited for this new chapter with all of you. But we're in the Psalms again this morning, and as Ben said, we're talking about the seasons of life, and he said in the intro sermon that we'll be looking at three different kinds of Psalms. Psalms of orientation, of disorientation, and of new orientation. And so last week we were in Psalm 19, a psalm of orientation, and this morning finds us in Psalm 74 in disorientation. And it is quite a lengthy text. It's not the longest, but it's a little bit longer, so I want to invite you to settle in with me and focus in as we listen to the Word of God together this morning. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you acquired long ago, which you redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you came to dwell. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins, the enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared within your holy place. They set up their emblems there. At the upper entrance, they hacked the wooden trellis with axes, and then with hatchets and hammers, they smashed all its carved work. They set your sanctuary on fire. They desecrated the dwelling place of your name, bringing it to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our emblems. There is no longer any prophet. And there is no one among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Why do you keep your hand in your bosom? Yet God, my King, is from of old working salvation in the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You cut openings for springs and torrents. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You established the luminaries and the sun. You have fixed all the bounds of the earth. You made summer and winter. 
Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and an impious people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild animals. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for your covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the haunts of violence. Do not let the downtrodden be put to shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God. Plead your cause. Remember how the impious scoff at you all day long. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of your adversaries that goes up continually. Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy is your name. God, and we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for your provision. God, and we ask that you would lead us not into the time of trial, but that you would deliver us, Lord. And God, we ask this morning for illumination from your word. I ask for the gift of preaching. And I ask that we would hear your gospel truth together with one another. It's in your righteous and mighty and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. They called it Crystal Nacht, translated as Night of Crystal, or perhaps more ominously, the Night of Broken Glass. It was Germany, 1938, November, a year before they invaded Poland. And a German ambassador in Paris had been killed by a young Jewish Polish boy, and that was all the pretext the Nazis needed. That night, from November 9th to the 10th, they launched their anti-Semitic assault on the Jewish people of Germany, and 30,000 Jewish men were arrested solely based on their ethnicity. 7,500 Jewish-owned shops were busted into, broken glass, looted by members of the Hitler Youth and stormtroopers. 276 synagogues across Germany, Austria, and Czechoslovakia were destroyed. It's said that many of them burned through the night in full view of the public and even in view of firefighters who had been given strict instructions not to intervene except to keep the flames to the synagogues. Ninety-one Jews were killed. And glass littered the streets, crystal knocked. The night of broken glass. And Kristallnacht was, in a sense, foretold on a much smaller scale a few months before, in June of 1938, when the third largest synagogue in Germany, in Munich, was destroyed. And it is there, almost 80 years later to the month, that a stone monument stands with Hebrew words carved into it. And those Hebrew words come from our text this morning, Psalm 74. They say, They set your sanctuary on fire. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Remember this, O Lord, 
how the enemy scoffs. This monument and this awful history, I think, sets our text in a different context this morning. Because Psalm 74 was written, in a sense, about its own kind of crystal knocked, its own night of broken glass, the night when the Jerusalem temple was destroyed. Remember, it's 589 B.C., and the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar have invaded and they've laid siege to Jerusalem. And two years later, they have destroyed the city and demolished Solomon's temple. And this is what our text speaks to today in Psalm 74. You can almost hear the noises of that destruction. You can hear the hatchets and the hammers and the axes, the Babylonians hacking away at the wooden frame and handiwork. And as our text recounts, they set your sanctuary on fire. They desecrated the dwelling place of your name, bringing it to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land, and we do not see our emblems. There is no longer any prophet, and there's no one among us who knows how long. You know, as much as my temperament would be to remain in the Psalms of orientation forever, as much as I would love to preach to you Psalm 19 every week, We know that life's not like that. We know that like the changing of seasons, the seasons of our lives change. And as many of us know in our own ways, that change is not always a modulation to a brighter, warmer, happier season. But at times it is a descent into cold, bleak darkness. At times... It is a change to disorientation. And we see this reflected in Scripture. The amazing thing, and I was telling this to a friend about six months ago who was in a very difficult place. I was saying, listen, large tracts of Scripture have been written from the very place you are in. Large tracts of Scripture, especially the Psalms, have been written from that season, that place of disorientation where God feels not near but very far indeed. And that's precisely the situation of Psalm 74 this morning. The destruction of Jerusalem's temple and its aftermath. In a demolished synagogue in Germany... I think is a good reference point for this, but it's not perfect. Because a synagogue is always one of many. There are many synagogues, sometimes in the same city. But when we're talking about Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, we are talking about the singular center of life and worship for Israel. We're talking about the very nucleus of Israel's worshiping life and their relationship to God. Their mediated life with God. It was the absolute nucleus. And so when we talk about this temple being destroyed, we're not just talking about the leveling of a cherished old building in Jerusalem. We are talking about the very destruction of the symbol of order 
and justice, and perhaps most of all, divine presence. You know, verse 2 of our text says, God, remember Mount Zion where you came to dwell. The temple was where God's presence resided. And when I read about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, specifically in Psalm 74, my mind goes to a poem. A poem by W.B. Yeats called The Second Coming. And there's this very foreboding first stanza of the poem that I think speaks to the heart of the darkness of this text. It says, Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. That third line, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Church, what do we do when it feels like the center of our community can't hold together? What do we do when it feels like the center of our lives are are falling and crumbling apart? And specifically, what do we do when it feels like the suffering, the pain, the disorientation might last forever? I want to offer us three moves this morning. Three moves that I believe the psalmist makes in our own text. Three options that he gives us to respond to seasons of disorientation. And I think the first one is we ask our questions. You know, it's telling that the, the first subject of Psalm 74 is not actually the temple itself. It's God is the first subject addressed. And the very first thing said, not even really about God, but to God, is a question. The psalmist writes, Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And then in verses 10 and 11, we raise up another crucial line of questioning where we say, How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand and why do you keep your hand in your bosom? To survive seasons of disorientation... I think this psalm models for us that we need to begin with the courage to ask our questions. We need to begin with the courage to take God seriously enough to take our hurt, our anger, our sin, our doubts, our fears, and to lay them at His throne. The Psalms specifically are are a repository of asking God difficult questions because He is big enough to handle them. And one of the biggest questions we get in Psalm 74 is this, how long? Will this go on forever, God? How long is there an end in sight? And we see this in many of the Psalms of disorientation. Because unlike the changing of temperate seasons, which 
we all know, will eventually change. We know that even in the heart of January's cold, spring is around the corner. We probably know that more deficiently here in Oklahoma. But we know it. It is coming. But seasons of life are not always like that. Seasons of life, at times, feel like they could go on forever. We don't always know in the midst of disorientation what's on the horizon, how long it might last. And so there is this giant, ominous question mark on the horizon that we need to take to God and say, will this go on forever or are you going to intervene? God, how long? And the reality of asking our questions is that we don't always get the answer we want. We don't even always get an answer. We may not get an answer this side of eternity. But God is big enough to take our questions and we need to have the courage to ask Him in those seasons and trust He can take them. And remarkably so, in the very midst of this line of questioning, something amazing happens. The psalm turns on a dime right after he's, how long, how long, forever, why don't you do anything? Verse 12, yet God my King is from of old working salvation in the earth. Psalm 74 is a communal lament, and you'll notice that all of the language is, is we, it's us, the congregation, the tribe, all of it except one. One singular personal pronoun, God, my King, is from of old working salvation in the earth. And I think we can only assume that it's at this turning point here that this singular, this my God, signals an intimate, direct, personal relationship with the God that we can question. An intimate relationship with the God that we can affirm our trust. The psalmist jumps here from asking questions to affirming trust in God and affirming trust in a close God, not a distant, far-off CEO, head of the company we've never met, but a God who is nearer, like we said last week, than our next of kin. That God has drawn near to His people Israel, and they feel that because of that, they can ask and they can affirm their trust. And, and after talking about working salvation, we move to verses 13 and 14, these interesting texts saying, You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. And what we need to remember here, I think Ben has talked about this before, is that in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, water... And the sea is representative of chaos. When we're talking about water, when we're talking about the sea, we're talking about chaos and, and what God has brought order to. 
We're talking about what God has defeated and been victorious over in creation and in liberation. And we get this language kind of in Genesis 1, right? The first two verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And so we're talking about God the Creator again. In the midst of disorientation, the psalmist says, but wait. You're the God who created. You're the God who created. You're the God of Genesis, and not just of Genesis. You're the God of Exodus. Verse 13, you divided the sea by your might. This is Exodus language. This is the God who is creator and liberator, who brought his people out of Egypt, who brought order to the chaos of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, who silenced the tyranny. This is God the creator and God the liberator, and this is the God in whom we affirm our trust. You know, it's almost as if Israel is kind of going through God's resume. They're saying, God, look, we see here that you are proficient in universe creation. Right? God, we see here that you have some special skills and abilities that you've been able to liberate your people out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. You are able to bring order from chaos, so do it again. Not just create, not just liberate, but God, recreate. That's the God in whom the psalmist affirms his trust. And what we find, I think, is that once we ask our questions and we affirm our trust in God, that we actually begin to affix our hope in Him. Uh, the final verses of 74 uh, finish out, Do not let the downtrodden be put to shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God. Plead your cause. Remember how the impious scoff at you all day long. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of your adversaries that goes up continually. You know, it's interesting. The psalmist's hope here is no longer in the temple. He's in a season of disorientation and that temple is gone. That structure that made life safe and secure. That structure that mediated the presence of God. It's, it's over. And so we find that hope looks a little bit different. Hope is now put not in the human structures that we all need and want and desire, but that hope is put in the source of hope itself. Hope is put in the very reason that those structures existed. Hope is put in God Himself. That we now can no longer affix our hope to those structures, but to affix it first to God. Because how many of us have been in seasons, communal seasons of lament, 
familial seasons of disorientation where those structures themselves collapsed. Or maybe those structures, those temples in our lives, they may have even been one of the sources of the disorientation. Our church, our job, our school, our family. And so we find the psalmist putting hope in something more original, more primordial, hope in God Himself. And we see this in the New Testament as well. We see this in John chapter 2, when the temple has actually been rebuilt. That the temple in Jerusalem has been rebuilt, the second temple period, and Jesus enters into that temple, and He begins to drive out the corruption, the chaos. And the, the Jewish leaders of that day say to Jesus, basically, hey, what gives you the right you know, what gives you the right, the authority to come in and mess with this structure? To mess with the temple of God? And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The God who dwelt in Zion, who dwelt in the temple, now dwells fully in the body of the risen Jesus Christ. And so when things fall apart, center cannot hold, when divine presence feels far, Jesus stands up and says, affix your hope to me, because I'm the new temple. When the structures of our lives fall down around us, when our temples crumble apart, Jesus says, I'm here, I'm still standing, and I'm never going anywhere. Because they already destroyed me, and I rose up, and I was rebuilt. And Jesus says, affix your hope to me, because no burden, no sin, no destruction, no chaos can ever take me down because I have already descended into hell and I've been raised up and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and all authority is mine. And now I'm the center of the universe. I'm the mediator between God and humanity. I'm the creator, the liberator. I'm the new and better temple. So if you're in a season of disorientation, if you're in a season in your life where God feels far off, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus Christ. It always leads back to Him. The twist ending has already happened in Christianity. Now it's predictable. 
that Jesus is where it all goes. Jesus is the one who recalibrates our heart compass. He's the one who leads us out of death and sin. And he is the one who takes those shards of broken glass in our lives and he pieces them back together into a beautiful stained glass window declaring his glory and grace. Jesus is the temple. He is the center of it all. Church, let's stand and praise him as such this morning.